This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pentecostal Periodical Magazine, a 501c3 ministry with writers who believe and live apostolic doctrine. A few writers include Kelly Nix, Scott Phillips, Samantha Thrash, Neil Purcell, Larry Chocklin, Jeff Arnold, and more. You can subscribe at www.pentecostalperiodical.com. If you would like to join our writing team or would like to make a donation, email us at info at pentecostalperiodical.com. We have a very special guest with us uh, this episode. I'm very excited about this particular subject that that we're going to be discussing. Uh, We have Brother John reading with us. Uh, Brother Reading, would you just uh, introduce yourself, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your ministry, and where you are right now? Yes, we are pastoring city of Greenfield, which is a suburb of Indianapolis. We are right outside of Indy to the east side of the city. Um, There's a lot of cities in Indiana that have green in their name. Um, we're, We're kind of one of those states that have a lot of corn, a lot of green fields. So um, people confuse us sometimes, Greenwood and some of the others, but we're the city out um, east of Indy on I-70. Um, we've been here for a while, um, pastoring the church since 99. My dad took the church in ni- uh, 1963 and pastored until his passing at 99. Uh, my wife, Chris, and myself uh, are working together. We've had uh, wonderful family that we've raised here three boys isaac clark and jonathan and uh we're we're endeavoring to carry on the work that has been done our church was started i think in 1934 uh, by j frank wilson and it's had an interesting history and we're just glad to be a part of it it's a growing city it's a great place to live and we're thankful for what god is doing uh and allowing us to be a part amen that's tremendous. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about um, you know, how God has created man to uh, need um, that that camaraderie, that um, that friendship, and, and that that um, that connection. Uh, right. Very excited about this. So why don't you just go ahead and we'll just get right into it, brother? Okay. All right. Well. Um, looking back, I, you know, my last name is Reading. We helped start the group, um, 26 books on Facebook. We have a great group of people there. Uh, I'm all about books. I love reading. I have a, a, a decently large library. I think I collect books faster than I read them. And um, some of that started in, in my childhood. I was a big reader, but gotten away from it. But um, when we first started pastoring, we were at a conference in a season of um, per- personal conflict for myself. I'd taken the church. I felt very inadequate. I felt like I was um, uh, almost an imposter, that I was certainly failing at the job. When I compared myself to my father, to many of his peers, 
um, I, I just felt like I was the wrong person for the job. And we went to a small conference in southern Indiana, actually um, on, the, uh, on the Kentucky side of the Ohio River. And JTP was a speaker. And um, found myself on the altar, kind of asking God, are you sure about this? And um, <clears throat> in that altar service, Brother Pugh came over and stood at the edge of the platform. And he was standing right above where I was at. And he quoted, he quoted a, a writer named Charlie Tremendous Jones, and uh, it's a it's a well known quote. Many people have heard it, um, but it just simply said, "You will be the same person in five years as you are today, uh, except for the people you meet and the books you read." And something about that gave me permission to become kind of a book lover, what have you. But it also made me. Uh, consider strongly our friendships and more uh, the time that we spent, who we spent time with. It was a transformative moment. Um, and so from that point on, we began to shift time we spent with people uh, based on are they adding to or subtracting from our life. Um, I, I began to think in the terms of you know, there's only 52 weekends in a year when you take out holidays, when you take out um, family events, vacations, obligations, sickness, etc. Really, we don't have as many opportunities to socialize as we particularly think. Um, and so in, in thinking about that, if you, if you only have 10, 15, 20 Saturdays, Friday nights, whatever, um, a year to spend, who are you going to spend them with? And uh, wow. uh, th this could sound elite, but um, elitist, but really it made me think this is a finite resource that we have in this time to spend with others. And if the people that you meet, the books you read, are going to shape who you are five years from now, then who is it that is shaping my life? I begin to consider some of the conversations that we've had over dinner tables. I begin to think about um, the, the, the attitudes that were reflected sometimes. Um, did the people that we were with at that moment and time make us better or bring out the best side of us? So... Um, it was about that same time we became involved with some district ministry here in our state, and it opened up a group of people that we knew, but we did not know them to the proximity and closeness that we would working with them over the next couple of years. And it was in this season that I realized that, um, you know what, there's something about some of these individuals that we have come to know that they challenge me. They make me want to be a better version of myself. And so uh, we, we considered one, one gentleman that we knew through this one, one fellow. He, he was an incredible student. He still is of the word. Um, he, he read like crazy. And I wanted to better myself in these areas like he did. Another, another fellow was um, very industrious. I, I watched him. He, he was productive. He used every moment that he could. He was, um, he was a hard worker, and he produced a lot. 
and I realized, hey, I, I've got some slack areas in these in my life that he's showing me where I could improve. Another one of the, the people that we were working with is strong in the area of belief. Um, they, they will die on their mountain. They will, they will fight the world for what they believe. And I realized that while I felt that I was strong about things I believed, this person made me understand that there were ways I could improve. And so we became very intentional and, um, uh, we, we became determined within ourselves to, um, build friendships with these people that made us want to be a better version of us. Um, that meant some friendships, conversations had to take, um, a lesser role. And what, again, I don't want to appear elitist or sound that way, but carnal conversation, um, conversations that were centered around griping, complaining, nitpicking, finding fault, tearing people down, tearing things down that we, you know, yeah. uh, when I left those conversations, did, did, was I a better person or worse? And so we, we began to prioritize our time. We only have so many opportunities. And so this was, this became a very intentional thing. Um, we kind of attached ourselves to some people and it's kind of like, we're going to be your friend, whether you like it or not, we are just <laughs> going to be there. And right. the Bible says, uh, to him, I have friends that show themselves friendly. And I, I hear people say, well, I just don't have as many friends as you do. And I, that's sad because really all you got to do is show up and be present. Wow. Um, and, and it does take effort. It's not convenient and it's certainly not easy. Um, there were times when we would hear that someone was having a special service, an anniversary service, dedication service, this and that. And, you know, there was a day when we were in our upbringing that a service like that would bring people from everywhere. And we've seen a decline in the attendance of such things. Usually now it's just close friends. And we decided to be the ones that would show up every chance we could, especially to these people that we felt that God had put in our life on purpose. And um, so we did. We, we, we invested. And I, I would say this, that something that I've learned over, over this period of time, that when you are creating your wealth, when you are building your wealth, be rich in friends and invest. It, it's an investment just like you would do for retirement or any other realm of wealth in your life. It is an investment that you have to put time and effort into it'll cost you something to be a true friend and um, yet we would find in time that those investments were much more valuable to us than anything they cost us um, time would prove that out so in our intentionality um, in attaching ourselves to people uh, there there's a principle um, our church is doing strengths, the, the Gallup strengths, and there's a principle about that that has uh, proven itself to be so true. Uh, if you're familiar, for those who may not be, um, social scientists have taken attributes, human attributes of personality and, and makeup. They've boiled them down, literally from the thousands now down to um, a, a base of 34 basic attributes. You can be tested. You can go through uh, tests to determine what uh, your top ten, what your five, top five are. 
but it's, I believe, just as important to know what your bottom five or your bottom ten are. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. We often want to work on our weaknesses. We want to find out, if I'm not that organized, how do I become a more organized person? That's human nature. It's just what we want to do. I want to improve myself. Self-help books, the, the libraries and stores are full of how do I you know, improve myself. The reality is we all have strengths, things we're good at. And they tell us that we should spend our time on what we're good at instead of the things that we're not. Because they tell us if you would work on number 34 of your strengths, if you were to work on number 34 and, and concentrate on it daily, consistently, and, and just put everything you have into that, the most you can usually bring that up is seven or eight points. So up into the late you know, 20s or so. But as soon as you stop working on it, it falls right back down to number 34. And so you're either working constantly, nonstop on your weaknesses, ignoring your strengths, or you realize this, this is an exercise of futility. So what do we do? But we work on our strengths, but we relate in our weaknesses. So I found it interesting. In fact, one author, um, one author put it like this, his his number 34, his weakest strength, if, you, if I can say it like that, was empathy. But he married a woman, his wife, uh, empathy is her number one. And because of proximity and the relationship they have, it has brought his awareness of his lack of empathy up um, and made him much more capable at being a, a person with empathy than if he concentrated on it. So I, I propose that it's better that we relate to people through our weaknesses or what we need um, to improve. You deal with these through relationship is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think that's scriptural. I think that's a scriptural uh, principle. Um, Genesis 2 and 18 says, that the Lord considered man, and he said it's not good that man be alone. And um, right. I'll make a help meet for him. Mm. There's a couple of things about that that are pretty incredible. Um, first thing is, the setting in which Adam was, was utopia. He was living in a place where there was no pain, there was no sickness, there was no sorrow, no grief, no loss, no death. A lot of the things that we relate to others in, uh, you know, when we're, the Bible says, what's going to happen if someone is cold and they're alone, who's going to be there to warm them? If someone falls and they're alone, who's going to be there to pick them up? And yet Adam was in a place where he didn't need any help. He never had a fevered brow for someone to, 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 to wipe off. He never had a temperature for someone to take and assess his health. He never had a sickness for someone to be there by his side. And yet in this place of perfection, where it would appear like he did not need anyone, the Lord said it's not good for him to be alone. How much more for you and I that are prone to issues and situations in life. Which brings me to the scripture that has um, become one of my favorites, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's one that we speak over, but I think we emphasize the wrong words 
Romans 12 and 15 tells us that we're to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that that weep. And I think we put this in the context of weeping or rejoicing. I think what really matters there is with. Whether it's rejoicing or weeping, it doesn't matter. Just don't let anyone do that by themselves. Don't let anybody do that alone. If someone's weeping, don't let them cry by themselves. If someone is rejoicing, we should never let them rejoice alone. I teach our church, don't ever allow anybody to dance by themselves. Don't allow anybody to come alive in rejoicing in a service alone because Scripture tells us that is a command. It's an imperative uh, word there that, that is without, um, there, there's no caveat there that says, well, unless or in case. It just simply says that we are not to do what we do alone. And it goes back, you know, when they tried to trap Jesus with the words of Moses, what did he do? He went back to the beginning to what was intended, and he said it was not so in the beginning. The beginning matters, and what Jesus, or what the good Lord did in the beginning was he established a principle. It's not good for man to be alone. So what was the answer? The answer was, he created a companion. Of course, I know this is also so well known to your audience, but there's something about that that is... um, speaks to me i like how the amplified takes that passage that it's not good for the man to be alone i will make a help meet for him amplified says i will make a helper meet which is suitable adapted or the word i prefer there is complementary mm-hmm. for him notice that eve could not complete adam because only god could do that but even with the completeness of god in his life He still needed the compliment that Eve would be. And so when we build our relationships and our friendships and we have these companionships, just like the Strength Finders teaches us that we need people in our life that fuse together and and we become, if I can say we become one within friendship, what have you, I do believe there's the possibility of growing to a place where we're beyond just associates, where we've gone beyond just being companions, but there's a friendship that our souls are knitted together. And I know this from personal experience. Um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, these friendships that we invested in, little did we know how much the return would come back to our lives in particular. And, you know, through pastoring, there's ups and downs through any kind of ministry. There are lean years and and tough years um, in our personal lives. There's health issues and crises and what have you. Um, And we've dealt with all of that. We have have seen uh, times when we absolutely desperately needed miracles. We've, We've been through seasons that we never dreamt that we would have to walk through those valleys, and yet we did. And it was, it was in those seasons, it was in those crises, I'll never forget a situation that we found ourselves in that we never dreamt that we would walk down that road. And it was in that moment, in, the, in that time, that friends came to us. And I want to say here that thank God for family. And uh, in, in no way is, is my, are my comments about friends 
um, denying the role that family has played in our lives. But these, these, these persons, these people that we had built into our family, we told our sons, look, here are a group of people. Here's, here's a men since we had sons. Here's a group of men. Here's 10 names. Here's 10 phone numbers. When you find yourself in a crisis, when you, do, when you can't come and talk to mom and dad, you can call them. They will take your call. They will receive you. At 3 o'clock in the morning, they will answer your phone. And we told, we taught this. We built these people into the lives of our children, these families, these friends, these friendships. And so, when crises came, when we found ourselves unable to sleep at night, weeping, when we found ourselves broken, our spirit broken, our heart broken, and wondering if if life would ever be anything um, resembling normal again. Um, I was stunned by the response and the reaction of the people around us. And I would tell others, you know, afterwards, I would say we felt like we were carried on the shoulder of others. There was times I didn't know how to pray, but others prayed us through. I, and I've, I've, I won't say I've comforted, but I've tried to use those words as comfort for others because I find that when people are in crises, one of the things, I I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. And once again, we go back to the Bible, and there's precedent for that. Because Peter is in prison. James has just been beheaded. Peter is next, and they're waiting for uh, the, the morning to come. And notice that Peter is not in the inner sanctum of that prison, he is not having a prayer meeting for himself. He's lying down, resting in his sleep. Often in crises, we just want to pull the covers over our head and pretend it's not happening. Yeah. And and yet, while Peter is sleeping, the Lord has a church somewhere praying for him. And they prayed him out of his dilemma when he could not pray for himself. And we've lived that when when we didn't know what to say, when we didn't know what to pray. We found uh, people began to share with us the stories of the burden that God had put on them for us. And uh, we, we were so amazed at um, the prayers that went up for our family in those times. Um, one, one lady went to prepare dinner for her family. She went to her children and found... Uh, that they weren't eating that day, and and nobody had said anything. They just said, "Mom, we're not going to eat. We're going to we're, we're praying and we're fasting for the readings." And uh, oh, okay. So she went to her husband and, "Hey, I'm I'm fixing dinner." And he said, "I, and I, I'm just I, I I can't eat. I, I'm I'm fasting for the readings." She realized that God had moved into their home and put a burden upon their entire family, for our family. And uh, they weren't even super close to that situation, but but their God had allowed somebody to carry that load for us that day. Um, and we found this. It happened over and over again. And um, people began to call us and ask us, could we meet you for dinner? And the last thing we wanted to do was go eat something. In fact, 
we we would often not have an appetite, but they would be insistent, and they would say, "We we really need to meet with you. We want to go," and they would begin to share their story, and they would often say things like, "We've never told anybody this. We've never shared any with anyone what we went through and what our family dealt with, but." We feel like we need to let you know that you're not the only one to walk this road. And here's what God has done for us in the years since. And look how God worked this out in our life. And those times that we felt like staying home, pulling the covers over our head and not going out, we would sit there and we would weep with them as they wept with us. And we would... Uh, be revived and we would be healed by their testimonies and we found this and again and again and I realized that the people that we had shown friendship to and kindness and we would put ourselves out for became partners with us in these hours of grief and sorrow to the point that there were times when they would sometimes call us and they would be weeping and crying over what we were going through. But I realized that our family had become their family and our children had become their children. Our life had become their life. And they were sincerely grieving, not just for us, but with us. And help me understand when Jesus went to Bethany and he went to Mary and Martha's house, he was the resurrection and life, and he knew Lazarus was about to come out of that grave. But the same God that knew that also knew that he was very dead, and he knew the loss that they were suffering. And the Bible says, in Jesus wept. And it's amazing to me that the one who would know the outcome that the next hour or so would reveal their rejoicing and their celebrating he would join the mourners and he would weep with them. It wasn't because of the tragedy that had happened in the household. It was because of the grief that he shared. He had their heartbeat and he had their 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 their, um, their pain in his spirit and heart. And so we watched this in the life of friends as they would weep with us with us through those situations. Those same friends in time would would rejoice on other occasions. And then. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, we, we have two sons yet at home. Our eldest is in the military. He's doing wonderful work there. But our middle son became incredibly ill. And on a Saturday, he came home from work, running a terrible fever, very sick, and he would go downhill from there. For the next couple of days, we would be concerned as we watched him basically going to a fever, he would not be aware of where he was at and what he was dealing with. We watched. We had taken him to the hospital that Saturday night, and uh, we were waiting for the results of what they had tested. And it was at the beginning of COVID, and, and, and we didn't hear anything. Finally, after following up and reaching out with them, they said, well, bring him back in, and um, let's see what's going on. And so we did. And uh, when they saw him immediately, they said, let's take him to this department. He is a very, very sick kid. Um, Clark was taken to uh, the, uh, the, the emergency room then from the clinic. And they said, let's just watch him overnight and let's, you know, let's just make sure this doesn't go anywhere. So they did. 
And that was about 8 o'clock in the evening. By midnight, the doctors would come out. We couldn't go to the hospital. We couldn't see him. But the doctors would come out to where we were sitting in the parking lot. And they were wringing their hands, and they said, we're, we're really sorry. But he has taken a desperate turn. He is full of sepsis. He is in septic shock. His, his organs are affected. They are swelling. And his body began to shut down. Um, he had the effects of COVID. We'd seen some of, notable, some of the notable people in our movement pass away. Others were fighting for their life, and now it's our son. And um, we could not go to where it was at. We couldn't sit by his bed. All we could do is sit in the parking lot. And I told my wife, I said, I'm not going home until he comes out. And we sit there through the night. In the wee hours of the morning that night, that first night, we'd post it on social media and text some of our friends that, hey, we could use your prayers. Somewhere in the middle of that night, we saw the headlights begin to pull in his friends in to come in and park their cars beside ours. When we didn't have answers and we didn't know what to say, they would just come and visit. This would go on for days. We would take him from one hospital to another. He would be taken to and put in a place that they basically called the death ward. This is where they take patients that were dealing with what he was to die. And it was... It was family and it was our friends. It was the church, family. It was those friendships that we'd invested in all those years that would surround us. It would come to that parking lot that would hold prayer meetings in the parking lot. They would bring us meals. They would come sit with us sometimes through the night, sometimes early in the morning, others through the afternoon. Many of them would drive from great distances to be with us. People began to pray. We, we heard that the Bible colleges were praying for Clark, and they began to hold uh, prayer meetings. Um, churches all the way from Russia to Africa were praying for him. Prayer chains had been activated across the country, even across the world. And he was desperate. And the doctors would come back, and the news would get worse. We were told his heart was severely damaged, that if he did live, that he would live a very disabled life. And the news and the words just kept getting worse. And yet, I'll never forget when we were, um, when we were in the middle of our, our crises, the friends that had been with us, friends that had prayed with us, the friends that had held us, the friends that would come. They would just bring us simple things we needed. We were living in the parking lot, looking up at that glass and, and concrete and steel building, looking at a window that we couldn't see through, but we knew that's where our boy was at. And the people that surrounded us in those hours, phone calls we would get. God had put it on the heart of people to pray in the critical moments when he was at his worst. And God would wake people up and, and he would create a prayer chain that we couldn't create within ourselves. And it was those friendships and those people that bound together with us. And they prayed when we didn't have the words to pray. And the story ends with we, we went to grab a bite to eat. Some friends, again, friends, had so graciously got us a room right next to the hospital. 
allowed us to go back and, and shower and clean up, and we were coming back to the parking lot. And we pulled up, and as we did, I became aware of God trying to tell me something, and I told my wife, God has healed Clark. He is healed. Can't explain it, but he's healed. We pull back to the parking lot, and we pull him up on FaceTime, and Clark's speaking to us through the screen, and he begins to tell us, Mom and Dad, here's what the doctors have done. They've come in. They've taken this off. They're taking that off. They they don't understand why, but I am I'm responding. They're pulling. And, and about that time, the phone rang, and it was dear friends of ours in the state who we preached for, and they preached for us. And our boys had grown up together, and they said, we're just calling to see how you are. And I said, my son is being healed right now. And the same people that had wept with us and cried and looked into the dark tunnel of despair, they said, we are. We will be there in minutes. And they got together in their car, told some of their family, we're running down to the hospital to spend some time at the readings. And then their family said, well, we're going with you. Until so it became a caravan. And into the parking lot pulled all of these cars. And we're stunned because of what God is doing and what we're seeing in the doctor's coming to us on the iPads and they're like, we don't understand. This is revert. We, this is impossible. It is impossible for what has happened to happen. His numbers are reversing. He, he, you know, he, he has turned a corner that we mm-hmm. cannot explain. Um, wow. They were looking at heart transplants. They were looking at, um, you know, and they could not explain. And, and we just had church. We had church in the parking lot of St. Vincent Hospital in Indianapolis. And it was friends who had wept with us that also came to our side. And in our rejoicing, they rejoiced with us. And we, we shouted and we danced and we laughed and we rejoiced. But I can't imagine what it would have been to go through those situations and others that time does not permit to do those things alone. And I've spoken to others since, and I've heard people tell me that they went through similar situations, but they looked at us with uncertainty and said, but we don't understand. There was nobody that showed up for us like your friends did for you. And I realized that in our victories and overcoming, that our friends are a huge part of those stories. And my heart aches for people who goes through life, its pains, its hurts, its aches, its desperation, and they do it alone because that's not how it's meant to be. God never meant for us to do life alone. But he said emphatically in his word, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. We were never your life together alone. It was always meant to be something we do in community. And so I believe the word bears it out that we are to be one another's companion, friend, strength, encourager. And and, and my heart aches today for those 
are going through situations of darkness, heaviness, or even something that is worth celebrating, and they don't have anyone to come beside them and say, whatever it is, you're not going to do it by yourself. Wow. So that's our story. Wow. I wonder how many people are listening or will listen to this particular episode and maybe maybe they know somebody that is going through a hard time and doesn't have that that community or maybe they themselves you know might be going through a rough patch in life and maybe they just haven't connected with you know anybody else after hearing this story uh, that you've shared your heart with us I, I I wonder how many people miss out on probably one of the greatest gifts that God gives each and every one of us and that's Absolutely. That, and that's that community uh, that that companionship that friendship that you're talking about you know it's I mean, you said it so I mean tremendously that we just were not made to be alone we just were not ever meant to be solo you know the world would have us believe that you know we can we can be solo we can do things by ourselves and but here's the thing even and, and anybody who knows anything can tell you in the financial world in in the business world in the medical field you know nobody ever got where they are by themselves absolutely they had absolutely. to they had to build on things that other people taught them things that they learned from same thing same thing in ministry same thing in the church you know everything that you know is not something that you just knew somebody in, somebody somewhere invested in you absolutely absolutely and i wonder i wonder if the people that would would are here in this episode would would do it, take an inventory of their lives, take an inventory of their friendships, take an inventory of the people like you did so many years ago and, and you know, start investing in other people's lives. Right. Stop worrying about what I get out of it and let's talk about what we can give. Sure. Let's talk about how we can grow together as the body of Christ. There's there's just too much there's just too much too much separation in the church. Sure. There's just too much. Uh you know, we we have all these different we have racial some racial divides, we have some doctrinal divides, we have some uh standard divides. We we have all these different divides when if we would recognize that maybe what I have somebody else needs or maybe what they have I might need to be able to fulfill God's will for my life to be able to be what God has called me to be to be able to go where God has called me to go to those who feel self-sufficient and feel like their life reflects the fact that well 
I'm accomplished. I've done everything I need to do. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I look around and, you know, I've done fine by myself and for myself. I, I would ask them to consider what are you missing? Mm. Because scripture is clear that if one put a thousand to flight, two would put 10,000. There's an exponential element to companionship. Wow. And if we can be self-satisfied by what we've accomplished unto ourselves, then we're not considering what might have been if we had added someone else to that equation. All the greatness that we've accomplished and whatever we have become is still limited because we did not add that element of multiplication. So it's quite interesting. You know, I hate that it takes a village thing um, was conscripted by, you know, a, a liberal agenda many years ago and tried to make, turn it into something that it wasn't. But I look back at our formative years when we first had our little children and we would come to church and my wife played and sang, I preached and taught and, uh, we would, we had a handful of people, we'd, we'd drop in babies off on the way to the platform, you know, and it was precious saints in the church that taught our kids how to clap, when to stand, how to sing, because mom and dad were stuck up front, but it was a beautiful family of believers within our church that took our children, and they helped us, and they prayed with them, and they... They kind of have adopted them as their own, of course, as you know, might happen. Yeah. But I look back, I see the fingerprints of of people within our congregation, of precious family members and our incredible friends. I see their fingerprints all over our lives. And now my children are, you know, 21, 23, 25. And they've become incredible young men, of which I'm so proud. But when I look at them, I see the people in their lives mm. that have helped us make them who they are. Wow. And I, my wife and I, we don't stand there with buttons popping, taking the credit. We certainly know how little we really did in the sense of it, it, it took so many to make these boys who and what they are and what they've become and what they've yet to become. But I'm thankful for the influence of so many incredible Amen. people. Amen. And I say to that, be careful who you sit around with on and eat pizza on a Saturday night because those will be the advisors of your children down the road. Just like that list of men and, and confidants that we gave to our sons when our boys have found themselves in moments of, hey, I need some advice. And our children will, it's not a if they will, but it's when they will find themselves in need of someone they can talk to. Um, they're going to reach out to the people that we have put in our life. And I've watched as others have put uh, negative people. I've seen people put um, uh, people that were incredibly carnal and had, you know, no goodwill in them. And, and I grieve because I watched that and I said, I say, those people are going to influence your children. They're going to be the ones that when they can't talk to you, they're going to talk to them. And um, 
who do you want advising your children when they can't come talk to you? And if that doesn't cause us to want to raise, uh, at least evaluate and say, are the people that we have planted in the garden of our family, are they the best, not just for the moment, but for the future as well? It's a sobering thought, but it's one that we have lived out in reality. Wow. There's a lot of things I'd go back and redo. If I could have a do-over, I can think of a lot of things that I wish I could go back and do. But if there is nothing about the people that we have invested in that have in turn invested in us that I would undo. We, we are so thankful for the people that we call friends. As we close out this podcast episode, uh, just this has been absolutely tremendous, sir. So thank you so much for carving out the time to, to join us on Apostolic Theory. Um, thank you for the privilege of being a part in the invitation. It's an honor. So as we close out, um, what is one thing, they've listened this far, um, what is one thing you want them to walk away from this episode with? Be aware of the people that you um, have in your life, of the friendships that are available. It's not always going to be someone that can elevate your ministry or take you to another level in an observable way. It might be that quiet person that never has had a title of notoriety but it may be someone with incredible common wisdom that will say things and speak things into you that will change your life. And so slow down enough to look around and see who God has put in your life to become a voice, to become that person that compliments you in the way that only he can. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.